0: Empathy is knowing your own darkness. it has power. Like, Without that connection, them. you don't have anything. What's the opposite of addiction? It's freedom. Hey, everybody,
1: and welcome to another amazing episode of Finding Peaks. You have yours truly, Chris Burns, Grateful Recovering president and founder. Um, we have our chief clinical officer, um, my right-hand man, Jason Friesman, licensed professional counselor. And we have Madeline Fry. Nope. Licensed, professional, licensed <laughs> professional counselor as well. That is the first time I actually got her last name right. Um, she yeah. corrected me today, so now I'm... How were you saying it? Frey. Frey, yeah. It, it yeah. Kind looks like Frey. It kind of reads that way. Yeah, um, yeah it does. <laughs> but we are so excited to bring to you um, another topic within our curriculum. We're going to be talking about identity and purpose, but I wanted to jump into something I think really meaningful before we get into that, and um, I had both of these individuals... Uh, in my gym this morning in the pain cave. And we were talking a little bit about before the show, kind of getting a sweat in before breakfast, and more specifically, doing that in the midst of connection and kind of what that does for our mental health, what it does for our clarity. And what I was talking to the guys about this morning in Circle was like, I need to foster that greatness so that I can share it with you all. I can't get to work and expect myself to to get to a place where I can extend these emotional um, opportunities or extend these connective opportunities if I don't take great care of myself. And I kind of liken those morning routines to kind of putting that that, uh, oxygen mask on first before we go and do it for the people that we love and cherish Mm -hmm. within the program. And so I just wanted to chat with you a little bit about your routine in the morning and how it allows you and enables you to show up as a good professional but an even better human
2: yeah yeah (laughs) Um, yeah i think for me in particular um, i have my own journey that i've walked with anxiety and it it's been really important for me to to realize and to hone in that one of the things that helps me the most is physical activity and and that can have a lot of different forms i have kind of narrowed it down to really liking um, like weightlifting and cardio stuff, like CrossFit specifically. And, and, I, and I just found that if I, if I do that, I feel more in tune with my body. I feel more in tune with my routine. Um, it, it helps me just feel like I'm on the right path for mm-hmm. the day. Um, it's also really important for me to know how I'm doing. So if I'm exhausted, mm-hmm. or if I have a late night, or if I have a lot going on, it's important for me to have flexibility in that. Mm. That I know it's okay if I sleep in. Right. I know that it's fine if it's not perfectly in the routine. Um, and just having like that flexibility and grace that I can offer myself. Mm-hmm. But um, it's just it's it's a great thing for me to be able to incorporate. And I found that it does help a lot as far as just mental health and well-being goes.
1: Yeah, that's huge. You actually bring up a really interesting point. You like get to you get to know yourself that day yeah. in that workout and where you're at yeah because the workout will be really honest with you especially if you're being dishonest <laughs> with yourself um, and i love that getting under a barbell and be like wow i don't have what i had yesterday and i can be a little bit more mindful and maybe enact some self-compassion mm-hmm. and i don't have to be shot out of a cannon
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, because that tends to be counterproductive
0: that's yeah. really cool I've, I've actually never heard it explained that way um i want to ask you guys so you guys work out with our clients uh, often in CrossFit gym and all that. How how do you see that helping the people at Peaks?
2: Oh, man, I can think of a specific story Hmm. where (laughs) there's a a girl that had been um, just walking through a variety of um, substance use issues. She had a variety of mental health concerns, and she was so ready to commit and just wanted to be well And so she showed up with this attitude of, I'm just going to try whatever is put in front of me. And she walked into the CrossFit gym for the first time, and I think her eyes were as big as dinner plates. Mm -hmm. And she was like, this place looks terrifying. (laughs) And she was like, Maddie, please don't make me do this. And I was like, we're just going to do it together. right? Mm -hmm. We're just going to take it one step at a time. And she walked out, and she was like, that was weird and really hard, but I did it. Mm-hmm. And and then I realized that just because it looks scary doesn't mean I can't do it. Mm-hmm. And then she ended up talking about um, ways that she could incorporate similar types of activities mm-hmm. after she discharged. Um, and she's still doing really well. Yeah. And so it, it's just it's really cool to see people using it as a platform to challenge themselves in a way that they haven't before. Yeah. Um, and that's really fun to kind of just be a part of and yeah. kind of get to say like, we'll do it together.
1: That's exceptional. I actually think yeah. I know who you're talking about. Yeah. It really, really cool. And to watch those lights turn off and watch them integrate it into their community. I guess the, the best story I can come up with is we had a, <clears throat> a male client who showed up to us in a walker.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, and he came in in a walker and he couldn't walk and he's dragging his right foot and he, he's got a tremendous alcohol detox to walk through. And I remember I sat with him at CrossFit and we just sat over in the corner of the bench. He couldn't even, he couldn't even sit up. He had to sit against the wall. Mm-hmm. And I said, man, we're going to get over there. He's like, I'll never make it over there. And I said, absolutely we will, but we're going to work on these arms. And we did some curls, and we just talked, and we just shared space together. We watched them work out. He got a good arm pump in, was nothing crazy. And then after a few weeks of meeting me in there on a Thursday, I come in on a Thursday, I'm like, Yo, where's... uh, So-and-so. And and they're like, and I look over, and he's on a rower. And he goes, we got some things to talk about, Chris. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, man. I went home. I told my wife, there's this guy. He's overcoming adversity. And then I get to go see him up in Denver, and he's integrating that stuff. He's out hiking. He's going to Phoenix Multisport. He's connected with this physical side of which, before he came to Peaks, and most certainly in his initial stages in Peaks, he thought was never possible Um, and so i love how that physical activity wherever it's at whoever it's with it tends to turn on this side of my brain that says i can and turn off the side that i can't but even more specifically i find it creates a lot of vulnerability Mm -hmm. and when we are able to get in that vulnerable space i think we can connect with whole hearts and really enact tremendous change Um, even, even when we were working out with Jason the other day, he got done doing a squat or maybe it was a shoulder press or something and he came out of it and he said, whoa, I don't know what came up there, I'm just getting a little emotional. I said, give me a hug, dude, let's <laughs> no. go. Happens and, once a week, least. yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I just love that. And, and for the viewers, I think it's important, especially if you're sitting back watching me, like, I'm not going to do CrossFit with Maddie and Chris. That's <clears> crazy. <yeah. laughs> it's not. We meet everybody where they're at. Sometimes we walk together. Sometimes we sit together. At times we cry together. And oh yeah, we do this physical thing called CrossFit occasionally as well. But it's the opportunity to engage in that is so much bigger than anything physical. Mm. And that's what I love about it.
2: And I think it it mirrors this, a beautiful path that i see so many people have to go on just as far as recovery is in general Mm -hmm. by asking yourself what have i been doing up until this point that i'm willing to change Mm. and it's it's such a big ask and it's so uncomfortable Um, but i think one of the beautiful things that i've seen happen over and over and over again is people get to the point where they're like let's just try it let's Mm. just see what happens and then when they do it It just creates this sense of self-efficacy where it's like i can i can try something and i can accomplish something and and just because it's hard doesn't mean i can't Mm. um that's that's what courage is right like feeling afraid and doing it anyway Mm. um and there's a guy in particular he um came in and was just really unfamiliar with all of this stuff and had some extra weight on him Mm. and he he was willing and he showed up and he just did these things all over um i mean repeatedly throughout the program and um, not only did he lose a lot of weight but what he was saying was now whenever i feel something whenever i have an emotion or i'm experiencing anxiety um, my body tells me hmm. and because i'm using it um, now i know how to respond to it or at least i have the opportunity to create space for myself to take care of myself mm-hmm. um, and that's really really cool you know we'll we'll do some mindfulness stuff or some um, breathing activities, where you know we'll like put our hand on a stomach and a hand on our heart, and and feel what it feels like to breathe, and just see the anxiety um, dispel from someone, or um, they start feeling more grounded after that. Mm-hmm. And it's just a, a really cool process that we see that when someone is willing to engage and try something new, and they start using their body, their body actually gives them information, mm-hmm. and 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 they can use that as an emotional regulation and grounding skill mm-hmm. um, that doesn't it's not just when they're working out it it also goes into like the rest of their day Mm. as well and and that comes up in session that comes up in conversations it's um i don't know it's a beautiful thing and it's fun to be a part of
1: yeah yeah that's really cool too and in in an effort too in that direction is like then you once you identify and come to grips or become relational with your body then it's something you can be safe inside as well Mm -hmm. which is really really cool to watch that grow um so thank you for that um so the topic today is actually identity and purpose. And I think it's a great dovetail off of this CrossFit as well, because mm-hmm. um, oftentimes I'm in there when I'm cheerleading everybody. And check it out. If you come to Peaks, you have never had a cheerleader like me, <laughs> never, <laughs> unless you went to A&M. they got really good male cheerleaders. Um, they, they're, they're pretty strong. <laughs> ELIZABETH <Yelled> um, <ears. laughs> uh, But. I go in there and I say, and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs. I said, "I know it doesn't say on our website, but you're going to come here and be a better athlete too." <laughs> oh shit! Yes. We didn't read it in the. S- <laughs> I'm gonna watch my language. Um, we didn't read it in the small print, but you're going to be a better athlete. And I look at some of these, especially mature adults, who come in and don't think they would ever be in a ladder drill, and then they come through and just watching them light up when I say that. Because what I see behind their eyes is a sense of purpose, Mm -hmm. a sense of belonging, Mm -hmm. a sense of feeling a part of, um, which has been a big part of my identity and recovery, is feeling a part of this group um, and being a person in long-term recovery from a mental health disorder, which I used to use substances to cope. So I want to throw it over to you. We're actually in the midst of identity and purpose and discussing a lot of this. But Maddie, if you would, what are some of your favorite components in that week and what does it look like
2: yeah um so i've been working with the women specifically this week on identity and purpose and the curriculum as we've built it has a a variety of tools and theories that we kind of weave in um, just to help people gain insight into um some of the things that make them who they are and i think one of the things that um we see consistently is that when someone's in the midst of their addiction or when someone's in the midst of um working through mental health concerns they start to believe that that's the the substance of their identity mm-hmm. right that yeah. that is the thing that makes up who they are mm-hmm. and and they and they lose sight of that they um it, it it just becomes something that they're not super clear on anymore and so um so for example you know we worked through um this thing called enneagram this week and it's just a thing that helps people understand more of their personality based on basic fears and basic desires. And so um, we, we engaged with that um, and then incorporated um, what's called um, Eric Erickson's theory of psychosocial development, which looks at stages of life and certain virtues that are developed um, as someone goes through like, conflicts. So say the conflict is between um, intimacy or isolation in your early adulthood. Um, people resolve that conflict by engaging in meaningful relationships. Um, and then they consider what happens if, you know, you go through a variety of unsuccessful relationships or feel discouraged. Um, and we also talk about something called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. Um, and, and basically what all this is doing is putting things together that help people realize that there are f- contributing factors to, um, what they're dealing with it's not who they are these are the things that have come up or what they've been through or developmental ruptures that have happened Um, it it's not it's not who they are as a person and so we we inject some compassion and some grace for ourselves into how we think about who we are um, that helps um negate that shame a little Mm -hmm. bit Um, And then we start talking about, well, if you're not that, then who are you? And that's when we start talking about values and we start talking about purpose and we start talking about envisioning a better world for themselves and and where they get to be really specific about some of the things that they want to see if they are able to lean into their values and if they are able to have greater self-compassion and less shame. Um, So that's kind of what we've been working on so far this week.
1: Nice, I love that, to, to come in and out and, and really create that identity. I was just in group this morning with a mature adult, and I said, and I'll ask this question often when I first meet people, I say, in your best guess, why do you abuse substances with such intensity? And a lot of times, mature adults, they'll say, ah, I just, you know, I've just always been a drinker. Yeah, I'm a drinker. I've always been an alcoholic. I just like drinking. My parents drank. I drank. You know, I'm just a drinker's drinker. And I'm like, gosh, to your point... I just think you're so much more than that. Mm -hmm. You are so much more than that. And I get to see these humans in front of me that have kind of consolidated their identity and their purpose to this tiny cup. Um, And it's some of the saddest stuff that I get to see, but one of the greatest things I get to see is when they pop out of a curriculum like Identity and Purpose, and they're like, I have a real chance. I've been able to formulate something that can be sustainable and really intentional, and it kind of re-describes who I am. Right, and probably pulls away from that negative self-talk as well at the same time.
0: Well, I think you know when we were developing the curriculum, um, I was I was hearkening back to uh, like clients. I used to talk in group about like, hey, the the removal of the cup that you just said of of substance use um, and maybe other mental health stuff. Like you remove that cup, and you're left with this beautiful blank canvas. Like you can begin to build your life on there. And I had, I would frame it in a way that it was this exciting thing that like you have all this opportunity. And I, I remember looking in groups often and just seeing terror and fear of like, I don't know what's left yeah. uh, if, I, if I remove these substances or if I don't, if I'm not kind of crippled by my depression or anxiety or whatever, I don't, I don't know what is there. Mm-hmm. and. You know, it it kind of stemmed from there to be like, you know, what this isn't just like one group, like where we have a little chat about what to put on there. Like we have to have a, we have to really do a deep dive on this to really help people find themselves. Mm -hmm. And to your point, Chris, you know, like um, it's so critically important, I think, to move well beyond I'm an addict or I I am depressed, I am these things. What else are you? Mm -hmm. It, it it's wide and it's vast and um, it's nuanced. And and Maddie, you mentioned the word shame. I think people uh, often get hung up on, uh, get stuck in that spot of like, I'm never gonna be better. I'm never uh, going to figure all these things out. And I think you you did a great job kind of talking about um, how we kind of carefully walk people toward finding out more about themselves, being curious about that. And it's kind of the removal of all of those things, all of that shame and saying over here, you know, this is your personality. This is where you got a little hung up uh, in your past. And then this is how you can uh, begin to manage and walk through your fears and how you can begin to find and identify yourself and, and be proud of who you are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, because when people walk in, um, I, I've told this story a few times, like they do literally feel like they're the worst people on the planet. A lot of people walk in the peaks feeling like they're the worst yeah. person on the planet. On the planet, and um, that's a lot to walk through. Especially as we remove the thing driving that shame, um, but also kind of creating an identity. Mm -hmm. uh, What's left, and how do we begin to build that?
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, that that's huge. And and we have these interesting parallels at Peaks Recovery too, because you got someone coming in in their first week and someone leaving in their sixth. And I had that parallel this morning in group and uh, or in my circle and. um, one of the folks that was new in recovery, he couldn't help but define himself as that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The person that was on his way out, he's like, all I know is I can do everything in my life except for that. <laughs> you know. And he's like, and I have all of this. I got relationships. I have a beautiful wife. I got 10 and 11s at night. Chris, I got a coffee with you next week. I just hmm. can't wait. I'm hanging with my wife here in Colorado Springs. And it was just like, you could see these parallels mm-hmm. running and it get chills talking about it because that's the hope. Yeah. And that person was able to turn to the person who left today, who I think was your client, um, and go, all right, man, I can see the light at the end of the tunnel. This makes sense. <laughs> yeah, you know? um, But I've been mired in, and, and, and that took Alcoholics Anonymous, 1935, I mean, yeah. they were really giving people identity. It was much different than it is now, and we're trying to grow out of that alcoholic yeah. addict identity. But it was brilliant. Yeah. They brought these people in. You said, hey, you're not nobody. You're an alcoholic in long-term recovery, and you help people. And I can remember just what that energy felt like to be helpful to anyone for anything, for any reason. And when you enact some identity and give people a little bit of purpose and allow them to, and that's what I love the way we do it, we allow them to define that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, it can really turn those lights on pretty clearly. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, well, I think it, it, there are constraints to the Alcoholics Anonymous approach, because like, you kind of still have to keep the cup mm-hmm. central. <laughs> yep. And I think, uh, I think we find that it's helpful to acknowledge the cup and, and own that cup, yeah. but own, own a lot of other things beyond that cup mm-hmm. as well, not just the cup. Yeah. yeah.
1: Most definitely. And we're understanding now it is all about mental health. Yeah. Um, but it was brilliant for that time. No, they,
0: yeah. yeah, absolutely. Innovative mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah. Yeah. And especially
1: some of the concepts, too, that kind of match today. Like they don't call it shame. Yeah. Right? They call it self. Yeah. Or whatever it might yeah. be. <laughs> you know, so.
2: Yeah. Um, and it was cool um, talking with him on his way out and yeah. and he said it feels it feels strange and unfamiliar but i'm really proud of myself and it was it was really cool talking to him cuz you could see that he was holding on to some emotion yeah and i was like can you say that again
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah <laughs>
2: he was like I'm proud of myself." Mm-hmm. And he was like, Maddie, you're not going to make me cry on my last day. I was like, you already are. He's yeah. <laughs> like, damn
1: it. I just yeah. love you guys.
2: Because <laughs> he was he was so genuine and so relieved and had such a clear picture of who he was. Mm-hmm. I and mean, you can't help but be inspired by that. It's just such a cool thing to be a part of.
1: It really is. Yeah. And we see it a lot, too, with um, mature adults who have had some successes, mm-hmm. you know, have had a career, have had a college degree, and then, you know, find co- themselves coping with substances in their late 30s or early 40s. and. Um, you see that identity just get completely discombobulated, and they just don't think they can get it back. Specifically, the client you're speaking about, when he came in, I mean, it was just hopeless. Mm-hmm. And what's
0: well, I mean, a long fall when you built an identity? Yeah. You know, some it's easier for people that are 18, 19 mm-hmm. years old. They haven't built as much of an identity. Mm-hmm. But if you built a career and a family and all those things are now. Uh, in jeopardy, or you're feeling awful about it, like that's a that's a big fall. It's, it's really tough. Yeah, you
1: see it sometimes with young people as well, especially um, athletes in school. You know, for me, I I didn't grow up with anything other than I'm either an addict and I do all this horrific, this bad stuff, or I'm this athlete sometimes too, and that was nice, <laughs> you know, and that <laughs> yeah. was a breath of fresh air. And um, I didn't play college sports or even close, but I remember leaving high school and I'm like, I'm not basketball player anymore Mm and don't play football I'm not getting paid for this who am I and I remember turning very intentionally and energetically and being like you're this bad person Mm -hmm. you know and so I see it with young people as well and it might be sport it could be church it could be community something that was here today and kind of shifted tomorrow um, I see that be pretty detrimental for young people as well Mm -hmm. Um, and
2: it's helpful giving people two options of different ways to think about themselves because i think what you're exactly to your point right you had basketball player and you had um, a bad person right and and because one was gone you were able to then just really focus on the other Mm -hmm. Um, and i think it's it's helpful just for people to have the book open in front of them and say i can identify um, in this realm in this realm you know my hobbies my interests my values my passions my relationships and have all these different ways to think about themselves that gives them a, a deeper sense of purpose and a deeper sense of relating to the world in a meaningful way
1: what do you, real quick, and I know we don't have a lot of time left, but that's brilliant, and it just brings up another, how do you get people out of that, how do you, do you, I try, I find myself explaining kind of these rudiment, these rooted kind of foundational stuff within our developmental process, but how do you get people out of their shame with this stuff, do you explain, hey, a lot of this stuff is in the past, or, I mean, can you explain that a little bit for the yeah. viewers?
2: Um, I, I mean, obviously shame is sticky, like it, mm-hmm is probably one of the um feelings that just trips people up the most and and everyone feels it Mm -hmm. Um, it's such a universal feeling but it's the thing that leads to disconnection Mm -hmm. because shame is the the feeling that that leaves you feeling small and not worthy of connection Mm -hmm. Um, and and i think on the road to addressing shame um, it's it's so important and and one of the things that um, i try to help my clients focus on is in the thing that you don't want to connect over, in the thing that you don't want people to know, what is one small aspect that you can find compassion for? Just mm-hmm. one teeny, tiny aspect. Mm-hmm. And, and even if it's um, not an excusing something, or making sense of it, or writing it off is not a big deal, mm-hmm. can you at least turn to yourself and say, that must have been so hard for you um, to go through something like that, or to feel so isolated, or feel so alone? Um, finding some way to humanize it, I think, gives people a fighting chance to then dismantle it a little bit further. Mm-hmm. But it's tough; it yeah. comes up over and over and over again, and mm-hmm. it evolves and it finds new ways to come up and, and attack everyone. Um, so it's definitely an ongoing conversation. But I, I would say probably start there.
1: Yeah, yeah. I, that's a great way to explain. It. How about you, Jay?
0: Yeah, I, I was just going to add. I, I think you answered that brilliantly. Yeah. But I think, you know, the piece I add too is I. I think a lot of times things happen to us when we're kids, and then we feel shame about it, and then we, we look back with our adult brain, and, and we're like, why, didn't, why wasn't I smarter? Why didn't I do this? Or why didn't I do that? And we take our adult brain and then judge ourselves for like, why didn't I act like an adult when I was five or six? Why didn't I protect myself? Why didn't I stand up for myself? Why did I allow this to happen? Why did I do all those things? So finding that compassion, I mean, I've had... People get pictures of themselves from when they were kids to be like, "You expected this little kid," or I'll, right. you know, I'll just I'll paint a picture of like, you know, a five-year-old is this tall, and they weigh, you know, not very much, yeah. and uh, and they should be worried about their ABCs and uh, and numbers and. Learning how to share and be nice, and you were enduring this whole other thing. Like I, mm-hmm. sometimes I can verbally paint the picture in a way that hopefully can build some compassion, um, because it is that shame is just that self-judgment of like something is fundamentally wrong with me, yeah. and often like it's just amazing how much of that we just carry from our childhood usually. And and finding some compassion for mm-hmm. to acknowledge like I was actually doing the best I could.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and the reason I ask is I get it a lot in my circle, and yeah. I sit with guys who are. You know, I've um, been to multiple, I had multiple treatment episodes, and I'll say, you know, things like, you know, this stuff is informed. And they'll say, look at all the terrible stuff I've done. Look at that. And I'm like, it's it's informed by something. yeah. And you guys say that a lot better than I do, so I'm yeah. going to steal that for yeah. next time. <laughs> but it is, it's just like, can I offer, can I get you to speak to a compassionate yeah. component, even just a sliver?
2: Just one tiny shift in the yeah. opposite direction, because asking someone to just completely dismantle their shame is is frankly too big of an ask straight out of the gate. Um, because I think shame actually serves as protection. Mm. If shame keeps mm. you small, um, it keeps you disengaged, um, there's a chance that maybe you won't get hurt, or you won't mm. feel embarrassed or guilty again. Right. And so if it keeps you small, it actually serves a function. And we have to honor that first. But there's a part that we have to set aside and say, and you're also keeping me from connecting, maybe yeah. to the full extent, extent that I could. Um, so what's human about that? What can I connect to? Right. Where is the compassion?
1: Yeah, I love that. And that's why in 2022, and this will be for another episode, why the 12-step model doesn't work quite as well today. Mm-hmm. Because it actually keeps us a little bit smaller than I mm-hmm. think we need to be. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough place to be. Um, so well, thank you all for coming <laughs> on. This has been absolutely amazing. Very educational for me. Um, <laughs> <laughs>
0: yeah. Everybody's glad they got to watch you uh, have an right. educational experience. No, yeah. it's good,
1: but I hope it was just as amazing for everybody else. <laughs> Thank you guys for coming on. It's been phenomenal. Um, you know what time it is. Chris Burns bringing on good, prof- great professionals, <laughs> yeah. but even better humans. Yeah, that's what we do. Please find us next time uh, Sunday at six p.m. is when we jump on. Um, but you can find us on Spotify. I've heard um, Instagram, TikTok. I'm the brand ambassador. We had a hundred and 15 likes on something the other day, so we are moving on up organically. Viral. We're going viral. (laughs) Uh, Check us next time, peace.